You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, hey, Gospel Hope, and welcome to another episode of the Reconciling Hope Podcast. And we're going to be talking today about Rod's excellent message from 2 Samuel chapter 11 and just interacting with one of these kind of iconic stories from the life of David once again. Our series has been, um, it's complicated, and we've talked about all the relationships that David had to walk through in his life. And this week, Rod encouraged us to think about David's relationship with Bathsheba and what a great story in some ways and also what a what a super sad story in other ways and so uh, I'm excited to jump into this so Rod let, let's get right into it okay. uh, you said um, we need to maintain a healthy distrust of our flesh so yeah. uh, for, for folks that maybe not grown up around the church or familiar with that term first of all what is the flesh and then yeah. why do we need yeah. to distrust it Right. So, so the Bible seems to consistently reference, you know, like, hey, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, looking at us as these creatures who have a material and an, and an immaterial uh, aspect to us. But our flesh is just most commonly known as kind of our sin nature, um, that part of us that is prone to follow the senses. Uh, it also can be our imaginations, our emotions, but all of those parts of us that are responsive to the world around us, and they have unfortunately been impacted by the fall. Um, they do not naturally run toward God. They are under, if you are in Christ, they are actively under reconstruction or under, re, uh, re, under redemption. And uh, so that's what we mean by the flesh. It's that part of us that is pulled away from God most often. Mm. Great. And why do we need to distrust it? Well, because, uh, again, you know, we understand our salvation to be one salvation in the moment from uh, we are we are, uh, again, forgiven of the from, again, the, the penalty of sin. We are recovered from the penalty of sin. We are given power over sin in the present. And then we have a hope of being removed from the temptation of sin in the future. So understanding our salvation in those three um, tenses we understand that we are still under construction or we are a work in progress. And the reason that we need to maintain a healthy distrust of our flesh is because that salvation, that middle piece of our, our, our sanctification, it's not finished, right? We are, uh, we are yet say we are in him, but we are being made more like him. And so there is a part of us that yeah, the Lord is still working on. And that, that distrust that we're talking about is recognizing that there's still aspects of my life that are responsive to the world that are not fully transformed to uh, in its appetites toward Christ. And that's why we need to distrust some of our native impulses. You always hear in culture, um, follow your heart. Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 has told us quite frankly that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who could know it? It's a rhetorical question that only God can. And that, that they are, we would surprise ourselves if we could see all of the evil that we were we were capable of. Just like we're surprised by the life of David. And we, mm. and we, we can see ourselves in that own story, in, in that story. Mm. Mm. That's good. So even though we, um, those who trusted in Jesus, really are transformed, really are saved, and that they're yeah. justified, they still need to have a healthy 
skepticism about the desires of their heart because we're not going to be fully saved right. until that day when Christ returns. Absolutely. So I, I think maybe the uh, the most powerful statement, at least in my heart, that, that stuck out during the message was this one. You said, David was in bed when he should have been in battle. Um, and, and then you went on to say, you know, this would have been prevented by some righteous rhythms. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love that pithy little statement there. Yeah. What are some righteous rhythms that need to be present in our lives as believers? Man, you know, Jesus told us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He said that to disciples and us who have a tendency to drift toward our immediate needs. I think a righteous rhythm for all believers is to seek the Lord as a matter of priority, whether that's timing, right? Seek him early while he may be found, whether that's frequency, right? To be, you know, study our Bible on a regular basis, spend time with the Lord in worship on a regular basis. Um, uh, so seeking him in prayer, spending time with the Lord in worship, reading our Bibles, pursuing community with godly believers. These are all righteous rhythms. If you were to take a Sunday morning church service and to break it into parts, into components, prayer, confession, worship, word time, um, uh, application time, and you made that a lifestyle and not just a Sunday morning, I think that's a glimpse into the righteous rhythms that need to be sprinkled throughout our lives on a, on a daily basis. If we're doing those things and not just pushing them in, compacting them into Sunday, I think we'd see a, a really good, um, uh, if you want to call it an agenda or just a, a discipline of spending mm -hmm. time with the Lord and with his people, I, you can't separate the two. What would you say to somebody who said, Rod, that, that just doesn't feel very organic or very natural if I'm really, you know, disciplining myself? How, how would you respond to that? Yeah, you know what didn't feel natural and organic was learning to write, <laughs> learning to walk. Um, you know, I was just kind of thinking through that even this morning in my time of devotions, like, man, I remember learning to speak. And there's some other weird stories that I could go into uh, learning a sport, learning any new craft. Uh, whether it's learning math, algebra, your alphabet. I mean, does anybody remember that teacher in the third, fourth, or fifth grade who made you memorize the timetables from one to 12? I mean, that wasn't organic, but it's established a foundation that serves us well through today, even if you're not a mathy person, right? Mm. The fundamentals of knowing that five times five is 25 and all the other things around it, that discipline early on has served you organically today. And so our lives are filled with foundational disciplines that feed organic work later on. Um, mm -hmm. If you've ever been on a new job, you know, if you're a, if you're a server, you know, at some point you didn't know in the world you were doing, but eventually you got the menu memorized and it served you well. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you know it organically. So um, th there's no part of the human life that isn't served well by discipline. Great, great. So those things are enemies. They're they're actually friends, and they they serve and support one another. Absolutely. Um. So uh, let's talk about kind of how this text uh, connects with our our current culture. And, and one thing that stood out to me is you made a very clear call that believers are to flee lust. You know, mm -hmm. David didn't flee in this situation, and he got himself in a world of hurt. And rather, they're to pursue righteousness. Um, and, and that's a clearly biblical idea, but we live in a culture right now that seems to say the opposite, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, cultivate lust, almost, yeah. you know, sex appeal and sexiness and um, yeah. premarital and extramarital sex. These are all like values. So mm-hmm. how can Christians navigate uh, fleeing lust when it seems like it's kind of all around us? Yeah. Well, well first, I think um, for, for believers, um, we, we, we can't live a life of just constant uh, a strategy of avoidance. We talked about that, right? If you're just trying to just always avoid, 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 you're going to just eventually just kind of run out of energy. I think this is a place to practice something that we heard the Lord Jesus talking about, which is prayer and fasting. There needs to be time in our lives, in this culture in particular, I think more important than any other time that I've noticed, where we need a just a clear, where we draw a line in the sand and say, man, there's just going to be a season and a time in my life where a lot of the sensory input, the things that appeal to my senses that I am so accustomed to, whether it be my favorite shows, uh, certain types of books, uh, certain types of websites. And I'm not talking about obviously sin, but I'm talking about things that are normative parts of our lives. Just a season of taking a break from that, just a pure break. I'll, I'll use the analogy of a person who says, you know what, I want to eat better. I want to eat all organic. And you just you commit to uh, only eating certain types of things. And then when you go back to the way you used to eat, it's like upsetting. Like you, you, you notice this distinct difference. It's like, whoa, am I lactose intolerant? Or, you know, bacon always tastes like that? Wait a minute. This is, you know, what I'm saying is spiritually, we need to develop some behaviors in the same way. Well, we have uh, planned seasons of our lives where we take a break from some of our routine exposures. That can, and so literally, I'm talking about fasting from radio, fasting from television, fasting from a whole host of other things that we know don't have overtly godly content. And, and if you do that for an extended season, it enables us to see some of the darkness, some of the hidden risk, and also some of the ugliness of the things that we're involved in. That's what the, the challenge that we're having today, Ryan, is that we don't see the ugliness because it it is it is. There's no contrast in our lives. We are just immersed in it everywhere we go. Like you said, I mean, it's just everything is super sexy. So uh, if you'll just commit to kind of cutting that stuff off for a season, when you come back, if you will, you'll be like, oh, wait a minute. I've never noticed how objectionable that was. I think that is just so, such a, once again, it sounds like a discipline, but it sounds like one that the Lord Jesus practiced. Right. Mm -hmm. Before his debut in ministry, he took some distinct time away. Right. Out, you know, just out and about. And and, and it was led by the spirit. And then, yes, he was tempted. But even Jesus seemed to think that a practice of being away, a season of solitude, um, cutting off all the other uh, uh, events and activity of life was useful. Um, And you're talking about Jesus wasn't sinful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, that's good. We need to we need to pull forward from what we see in the scriptures. Uh, that's a great great point of application there. So, <clears throat> our mission at Gospel Hope is to grow in the gospel, our relationship with God, grow as a family, our relationship with other believers, and grow in, in our relationship with the world um, while on mission. Mm-hmm. Um, which which one of these were you particularly thinking about during this this sermon? Great question. Um, I believe it was growing in our relationship with God. Um, And and I say that because I believe David would have been much more sensitive to the conviction that was coming through the various voices in his world. Whoever that named the servant that said, you know, that that's 
you know, Uriah's wife. Mm -hmm. uh, even hearing Uriah's word with not just hearing the facts of it, but hearing the the, the clarity that God was saying, like everybody's in position except you. The, the sensitivity to just not just constantly resist these obvious evidences that God was saying, stop, pump the brakes. That demands discernment, right? Mm -hmm. And I think when we are growing in our relationship with God, our discernment is high. When we are not growing in our relationship with God, when we're in bed, when we should be in battle, our discernment is low. Our ability mm -hmm. to hear the subtle tug of God saying, yield, stop, halt, do not proceed. I believe we diminish that when we are not disciplined and when we're not in battle, when we're not regularly where we're supposed to be. So I, so I think uh, growing in my relationship with God, uh, seeking him early while he may be found, seeking him first, seeking him frequently. Um, I think all of those things would have been a great probiotic for David, uh, what mm -hmm. you want to call it. Um, and just his and just his 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 ability to to guard his heart, and so um, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, in a sense, it's like man, our relationship with God is is a house that doesn't just need to be built, but it also right. needs to be maintained. Like you can't yeah. you can't just be like, man, I built the house, we're all good now, man. If you don't take care of that and cultivate that relationship, mm -hmm. um, it's going to deteriorate. And and for sure, mm -hmm. that's what we saw in the life of David there. Um, yeah. final question here, Rod, our vision display the reconciling hope of the gospel. How does this particular passage point us to the reconciling hope that we have in Christ? So, you know, again, I talked about that ministry of Uriah, just mm -hmm. that persistent witness of what was right, even though David was just persistently pushing it away and ignoring it. I believe that we ought to be encouraged by the persistence of the Holy Spirit, because mm -hmm. unlike Uriah, uh, the Holy Spirit cannot be killed. He cannot be put away. Um, he will always come back and remind us of what's right. We should be reassured by that. And I think, um, you know, obviously next week when we look at chapter 12 and we see even God's persistence and him not giving up on David, we're going to see the persistence of God, not only in the person of the oh, kind of in the in the in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we'll see the persistence of God even in in faithfulness and forgiveness and some other things. But mm -hmm. I think we should have hope in that. And I mm -hmm. and it is my desire and conviction for myself that God's persistence wouldn't be taken. And it's a phrase that I keep saying all the time. I need to get a new one. It wouldn't be taken as a hall pass to make me feel comfortable continuing in sin because I know that God is going to persistently be there. But I think we should get hope from that that God doesn't give up on us. Uh, he didn't give up on David, even though he was deeply displeased with David. And we'll see Amen. that. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, brother. Again, um, great word yesterday. Encouraging. I, 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 again, thought the way that you um, illustrated the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the life of Uriah. I mean, that was a, a great kind of exegetical nugget and encouraging to my soul that, mm -hmm. man, the Lord pursues us and brings conviction to us, even when we are hellbent uh, yeah. on running away from him. So uh, thanks for serving us. And man, Gospel Hope family, I hope you're encouraged by this conversation. It helps you to really grow in your relationship with God, grow in your relationship with one another and engage the world while on mission. So thanks so much for tuning in. Lord willing, we will see you next week. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services Sundays at 11 a.m. or check out gospelhopechurch.com.